get recorded too on the computer? did really good in blackouts. It was when I was conscious I was getting arrested quite a lot. But when I was blacking out I was doing very good and I wake up with beautiful women. I must have been very suave. And I was traveling and buying plane tickets and going to places and when I talked to my friends the next day they didn't know there wasn't me there. And uh, I didn't miss, miss a beat. Everyone, even my close intimate friends didn't see Oh, Paul just blacked out. Who's this? No, it was just a, an ongoing theme of Paulness. Not basically a small speed bump, but so what? What I I made up a story about it, which is that so I must have intoxicated myself enough or something that my brain got startled and the cell thing stopped, but not but for a very, 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 very short bit of time. And it started up again. But what occurred was there was a new presentation as Paul in those 13 hours that when the old Paul arose back, it didn't remember, basically to cover its tracks, because it wasn't there for 13 hours in my life, yet it's been calling itself me, which would mean I was always me in every hour of my life. But... For, for a while there, there was another me that was representing me and doing pretty well as me. But that must have collapsed sooner or later. And then the old idea of Paul rose again. And for it to have a sense of continuity and of being me, it couldn't entertain that there had been another Paul for the 14 hours. Because if there's two Pauls, there can't be any Paul. I mean, if there's more than one self, there ain't any self. See, the whole idea of self is you're a long-lasting, independent, separate unit. You have one. So if there can be two Pauls, there can't be any Pauls, literally. And so that's been my experience with it. Because something shut down, but I didn't miss a beat. I was, the person who I was sleeping with still thought I was Paul. 
they were they were recognizing and relating to the re- representative. Everything was going on when I, you know, went to the store. They said, "Oh, Mr. Hederman," everything like that. There was someone talking, and when someone said Paul, I noticed that. Hey, yeah. Hey, how are you? I must have been waving the people I knew. But when I came to the other Paul, it forgot this Paul. Yeah, because obviously, if it entertained that there was another Paul, its whole charade of being me would be blown out of the water. So, in a way. That's just another, for me, another example of how there can't be one Paul if there can be two. Yeah? So that's the story of the blackout. I have no idea if there's any scientific research. I don't think anyone's that interested in it. But I was interested in it because there's some people I know who've been in blackouts. They've actually traveled quite well. Their problem was they'd wake up in different states and they'd look out and see the weather to see where they were sort of, you know, there was snow on the ground. They fucking like, left California. And then immediately they'd go to the newspaper box and see, all right, the Des Moines register. And then they realized they were in Iowa or something. Yeah? <laughs> they had no idea. But they were buying tickets and everything like that. So obviously the mind was representing itself as a Paul and doing quite well in the in the daily workings of a day of getting what you want and doing this and doing that. And yet, there was probably a very strong sense that, that I was that Paul, that I was only for 13 hours. The sense of being that Paul mustn't have left. I mean, I was giving it all the authenticity it had by being identified as it. So there was that sense of Paul was prevalent and I was believing it as me, and then the other one showed up, and I forgot that 13-hour one, and I took that period of it being Paul as a blackout to this Paul. Yeah. Because Paul couldn't think, hey, there's another Paul in town. It would be like dueling Pauls, you know. And I would have actually hired that one in the blackout, because I never got arrested in a blackout. And I went out with some really nice women in blackouts, and I, did. I didn't get run over by cars in blackouts. So I would have actually rather have that as my manager than the one I've been saddled with in this life. So that's the idea of a blackout. And it's all a sense of just using little examples to show you the flimsiness of the idea of being represented as this. It's purely a mental process. Yeah, It's producing a sense of being a self. It's producing the thought of being a self wrapped around a feeling. So, in other words, the body's thinking it is a self, which is the feeling, and the mind's thinking it's a self, which is the thought. That combination is pretty powerful. Yeah? I really believe the feelings are so powerful because you're truly identified as a body more than the mind. You see yourself when you're thinking as a body. You don't see yourself when you're thinking as a mind. When you picture yourself in the mind, it's as, as a body. You see yourself as a body. So I would say the body identification lends a lot more meaning to feelings than thoughts. That's why I think a lot of people have a lot more difficulty with feelings than they have with thoughts. Yeah? The feelings seem so authentic. I would see maybe because of the mind's identifying as the body, giving this more relevance and more whack than thoughts, actually. Though the thinking is incredibly incessant. It's a lot, lot more and more uh, ongoing than feelings. Yeah? Most times you don't even know what you're feeling a lot of the time. Yeah. And I would say a lot of feelings go underappreciated, but thoughts seem to be very, very acutely attuned to for a lot of people. 
And to me, it's like a porno theater. They're up there, you know, watching Dallas do Paul or Paul doing Dallas. You know, they're you're totally in the realm of what's not happening, and there is a cherishing of it, even though it sounds like you the, the you you do anything to be free of it. But that's a sense of being cherishing it. Yeah, that act of trying to get out of it is really because really minds, I would say, form of love is attention. Whatever it gives attention to or interest in is really its form of love, yeah? And it has an incredible amount of interest and attention into the thought system, obviously, yeah? So I would say that's its act of cherishing. It's really absorbed in thinking about what's not happening, about you, about them, all in this little three-ring circus of past, present, and future, yeah? But there's immediacy to the conscious contact. It's a good place to, uh, at least, if your attention is still tethered to the idea of you being attentive. If you're attentive, if you are being attentive to the conscious contact, it will erase some of the influence of you. Because the conscious contact has really nothing to do with you. It's prior to you. You're, you are a construct by the mind after conscious contact. Yeah. So if... If the you you think you are <laughs> directs its seeming attention, which it is not its attention, to conscious contact, you know, just the seeing and hearing, feeling, like now the heat on the skin and everything, and a little sweat here and then here and here, you know, and the taste and the touch and the thoughts, it can really weaken the sense of being the you. Even if those, it looks like you are doing it, it's just an appearance that you are doing it. Based on you as that center, yeah, and you just 
like this, uh, absorption in that. Yeah? Is this if, where was I just then? In the kaleidoscope. I didn't get out of the kaleidoscope. And then, uh, you see everything through a sense of your own prison. Oh, there you go. There you go. So that becomes a form of looking. Yeah? So self-centeredness is a form of look like a pair of glasses. Yeah? And those pair of glasses create distortions that are causing, quote-unquote, you, disharmony, imbalance, dissatisfaction, irritable, restless. Yeah? And so what we do here, many of us, we don't forsake the format of looking, we just get another pair of glasses. So we get Buddhism, let's say. And we're going to put Buddhism on the self-centered glasses. And Buddhism, because it's sound way of looking at things, will just correct some of the distortions of looking. But inherently, it's still looking. It's still the you that's doing something, and yes, you're going to get somewhere. It's just this form of looking that's called self-centeredness. So then you get another pair of glasses, let's say that Vaita, a non-duality. So I Vaita, you put these pair of glasses on, and so it's a uni Fucking whatever. Yeah? But it's got two things, but one, yeah. Whatever. And we're hoping this is going to correct the distortion of this. We'll put this on. <laughs> Which is driving many people crazy, I think. Because <laughs> they're looking out of both eyes through the one thing. I know I'm not that. <laughs> but I feel like I'm that. I'm not happy. <laughs> so, with the hopes that if it's a really good pair of glasses, it will lead you to take them off. Yeah? And hopefully, it will enter... Well, to me, at Vita, I have I like the message because it, it actually entertains the identification as self as a pair of glasses. That it isn't you. So, once your mind can entertain it's not you, the immediate... A possibility you can entertain next is I, I can take them off. If you don't believe you have glasses on, what is a form of looking will be called seeing. You'll be thinking, this is how I see, but it's not how you see. It's how you look in self-centeredness, through self-centeredness, yeah? So if you can, you put on this pair of glasses, and hopefully it has a point where it's going to lead to its own obsoleteness, where you're meant to take off the original pair of glasses, which is his self-centeredness, and then see, which isn't a form of looking. All the forms of looking were interpretations of the seeing. Now it's just seeing. Yeah. No, no need for pair of glasses. So there's no need to correct any lenses because there's no lenses anymore. It's not a contrived way of looking. It's seeing. So the solution that the other ones will produce slowly, let's say, and by increments, and never completely take you off the dependency of the glasses, because it's always you doing something to improve the way you're looking, really. <coughs> Even in non-duality, it's you not doing now, you know, you as a not-doer. It just keeps recapitulating all the time. But if they're really a good form of glasses, they will bring a point where you'll take off You'll recognize what you call seeing is a way of looking. Take them off, and then naturally seeing will occur. Yeah? Then there's no need for a pair of glasses unless there is. And then when there is, there's some there, and you put them on. They, they become obsolete quickly, I hope, and then there's a seeing. And then you get used, you get weaned off of being addicted to looking, 
and then you start seeing again, and it's not like you start seeing, it's always been so. But here in the translation of you and time, it seems like you've started to see. But in fact, it's always been that way. It's just, you know? So That, to me, why I like this message a lot. First of all, it cuts off the dualistic approach, and then it does a... It brings you to a point of recognizing that the mind has hijacked conscious contact and seeing and made it into a form of interpretation that I'm the one who's in contact and I'm looking. Yeah? So like St. Francis would say, what you're looking for is what's looking. I would say what you're looking for is what's, is what's seeing, really. It's because you're looking you can't see it. Because looking means you're, gonna be, you're looking for it as if you can see it as an object. When you give up looking, that's seeing. Because seeing isn't looking for anything. That's its nature, is to see. Yeah? There's no subject-object in it. Looking there implies a looker who's looking for something. Seeing has no constraints. It's just seeing. So it cuts off a lot of the dualistic way of holding things here. Yeah? It points out that there's no way you can enter time and space and do and have yourself into a timeless state. It's impossible. So these messages, to me, disarm the selfing. And then it, because it's a verb, it can be startled into stopping, because it's a verb. I mean, if, you, if something is rolling down a hill and you put something, it will stop it, yeah? This is verbing if you can startle it and it wakes up, yeah? Out of the verbing of selfing. So to me, these are very good methods, in a sense, and not a method, but invitations to stop the way selfing verbs, which is dualistically, doing and having, seeing becomes looking, all this, and then you just short-circuit it, and it stops, and there's a free sample, which is, and always after a free sample, it was like, it, it was always so, yes? Or I need to do nothing, or these kind of hits occur, because it has always been so, and it is true that there's need to do nothing. They're not, like, made up. They're just the best the mind can translate what's always so, always available at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it. It says, hey, it's always been so, and I need to do nothing. Association with truth, company of truth, associating with this, entertaining this idea because it's it doesn't need much attention. Yeah, it's not it doesn't need incessant magnification because it has a quality. What's not happening doesn't have, and it's it's happening. It's always been so. So all it needs is the very token little bit of attention, and not it needs almost no attention. It's just. Any approach, mental approach, get disarmed. And then when there's no approach, it's obvious. When the movement towards or the belief that you could be away from is dropped, then it's really obvious. And And only in time can you forget. So if you're still addicted with time, then you'll probably forget. 
and you come back to another meeting and you'll be reminded. Yeah? And you're not missing out on anything because there's no time in it. So it isn't like, I'm going to wait more years than you. There's no years in it. There's no quality of time. So longing and patience and really working hard towards this goal is all pointless. It's as if, oh, I, I, could, I woke up at 22. There's no 22 in it. There's no age that meant, oh, I didn't have it. I, I didn't have it for 22 years. I could have had it. It's none of that. It's just very cleanly bingo. You're not missing out on anything. There's no rush. Because when it's entertained, there's such a strong quality of its timelessness. All that sense of patience and longing and I've been waiting forever. It's all story. It's all mental story. You don't have any feeling of time. So there's nothing you've lost or missed and I should have worked harder. Or why didn't I concentrate more on what you were saying? That's not going to help you. Best thing is never to think about it. When you hear a message, just hear it. The hearing of it is the message, not what you heard or how you think about it when you get home. It's the act of hearing is the message. Hopefully if the message is sound, it brings your attention just to the act of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, being awake now, so that a little honoring of that can uh, occur. It goes a long way here in time. Yeah? If you just honor the space of this place. Honor and grace to me are elusive feeling of, they're like an idea of trying to put a feeling on it, but I really believe there's grace, in a sense. There's an energy that's available to us. But I think a little bit of honoring of it promotes it even more. Because I've seen a lot of people in recovery <coughs> who didn't honor the grace that was given to them as this action figure when the problem was removed. And they, uh, they went back out, and they believed that AA was going to be the same when they came back. And AA was, but they weren't. They didn't. They had the compulsion. They get loaded all the time again, and they didn't like the meetings anymore. And they had a real. I know one lady. I remember when she told me she she just come back from going out. She had had ten years, and she got bored, and she wanted a little excitement. She went out for a weekend, and she's been coming in and out for over eighteen years now. Hell upon hell in the mental realm. She has kids and everything. She can't get it again. Unbelievable. So. In a sense, if there's any feeling that comes up, and it's not you honoring it, but there's an honoring of it. It's a nice, I like that. It develops something in, for me. When something is recognized, there's an honoring of that. Uh, and that, for me, pr promotes grace in the entertaining of it. Yeah. Not an honoring of it as you. Not a, like a false conceptual value given it. Oh, the truth, no. Just a recognition of some hugeness uh, of something, yeah? or of nothing. Which brings you to a state of honor to me. And then if that honoring is, you can't go wrong with the honoring. I mean, I feel it opens you up to a grace. Like gratitude. Yeah, like gratitude. Those are, a, there's some beautiful qualities of mind here. Gratitude, grace, you know. Uh, you know, that humility that isn't thought of, just the sense of just the uh, your right-sizeness, you know? Oh, yeah. 
being a facilitator, a conveyor, an expressor, an expression, not a thing, but just a form of some of no thing expressing. There's an honoring of that. It's a nice way to travel. I mean, I'm totally interested in it. I mean, when I look up, it never ends. When I look out, as from the point of view of a self, this place is dead in a way. It disappears, it comes and it goes. But when I look out, up, like vertically, it's never ending. It matches your ability to entertain the infiniteness of it. The mind will never get bored in there. It's totally like... It's like a sweet... um, One time I had a... I was getting operated on a local one on my leg. So they, what they do is they build a little wall so you can't look at them when they're working. And they're on the other side doing their thing. And you know, just, they have these big aluminum bowls with lights in them. And I was just, you know, looking at that whatever. And I got lost in there. Whatever. And for a moment, that that whatever I can't name whatever it is, something occurs, and. I felt a whole, whole. I don't. I don't have enough senses to feel what was being felt. Yeah, but there was a feeling of something, and when it, when it uh, decreased, it made everything that ever happened. First, first of all, as as if it never happened, and then when it showed up again, everything was totally okay that it happened if it led to this. Just a split second of a sample. Just that, just a, no one even noticed it. Probably nobody was working on my leg or coming in with, you know, gauzes or whatever. But in that timeless thing, everything, you know, it was like the immediate erasing of linear chalkboards of stories, just like it never was so. No, there was no. Only something that's unreal can disappear immediately. If it was real, it would have to take time to, to dissipate. But unreality disappears like that. It's never was so. So if something, when something like that happened, for me, there was an honoring. Just knocked my socks off. And it just was like, most of my attention just went like that <laughs> from now on. I'm living here, but my attention is going that way. It's a, obviously, it's not going that way, but you know what I mean. Yeah? So. Yeah. So. Any more questions? No? We're going to come to an end, eh? Did everyone get their money's worth? Can I hit all the notes? Huh? You hit all the notes. Oh, did I? Good. How do I try to hit the save? <laughs> yeah. I think we yeah. should hit save. Sounds like a good word to follow, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, this button. Let's go. I have to sing amazing. You wouldn't want to hear amazing. Funny, you know. Thank you.